Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Johnny Carson once interviewed Betty Davis and asked if she had any advice for young starlets wanting to get ahead in Hollywood. She suggested take Fountain. Fountain Avenue runs parallel to Santa Monica and Sunset Boulevards in Hollywood and is often used to avoid the heavier traffic. And isn't that what we're all after? A smooth run, no holdups, not only in traffic, but also in life. How do people handle those holdups, the rejections? How do they create a life in the entertainment capital of the world? How do they identify and express their uniqueness in a place where hundreds of thousands are hoping to do the same? Welcome to Take Fountain. Compelling stories from passionate people who've made it, are making it, in Hollywood. Writers, comedians, actors, filmmakers. I'll talk to anyone with a story to tell. Welcome to Take Fountain, a podcast of passionate people working on their dreams. Compelling stories from Hollywood. Your host, Ella James. My guest today, all the way from Australia, is Zach Garrett. Thanks so much for coming on the show. G'day, Ella. It's such an adjustment here, like all the way from Australia. It, it is, it's sort of, it feels so intimate to us, but yeah. I guess it is all the way today. Well, I'm used to you just living around the corner. Yeah. So when did you go? When did you go back to Australia? And was that a COVID decision, or is it because of the press you're doing for Occupation Rainfall? It's all related to the press for Occupation Rainfall. Um, the opportunity came up for me to come down, and I figured it was it was just it was a good idea to do it, and I'm, I'm glad that I did because we got to be present for the um, for the premiere last uh, on Wednesday night, which was amazing. But yeah, I, I got here um, November. Oh, December 29th, I landed. So I, I landed in Sydney. I did my two weeks quarantine in the hotel in Sydney, which was a really interesting experience. And then I've been in Byron Bay for the last week. What was interesting about the experience? It was really interesting to see the, the combination of, uh, of ensuring people's comfort and, and the hospitality provided to us, along with the strict biosecurity measure, biosecurity and security measures and how seriously they take it. It was, a, it was a really interesting balancing act between hospitality, compassion, empathy, you know, for what is a very difficult situation, but also a, a, a robust and a thorough um, biosecurity and security effort by the police, by the military, and, of course, by the health system. And, like, things like they burn our rubbish, you know, like you leave, you leave your rubbish in the hallway and they pick it up in full, you know, like they're going to kidnap ET kind of hazmat suits. Right, kind of suits. Like they don't burn yeah. it in the corridors; they take it somewhere. No, no, they don't have a bonfire. It's not like you know. It's not like um, oh, what's the famous thing that they do in Belfast? It's not like bonfire night, you know, where they they burn everything. No, they they put them all in, in great big yellow bins and they seal them up and then they take it downstairs and and they um, you know, that they they burn it out the front of the street. How was the food? <laughs> it was good. I was really spoiled. I felt like I was really spoiled. We had a menu. So they, they gave us like, a, like they do a menu at the hotel I stayed at. They gave us a menu in like two week stretches. So like you wake up in the morning and go, okay, Tuesday, what are we having here? All right, so we've got an omelette, uh, omelette this morning with fruit salad. No problem. Lunch, we have a nice, uh, nice Nagnazermi Indian curry. And then for dinner, we have, um, oh, we've got steak and vegetables. It was that kind of thing every, every day. Yeah, but, but they, they were really accommodating that they, they said to us, look, if you want something delivered, let us know. We can arrange groceries, we can arrange yeah. exercise equipment. Um, 
that they were absolutely delightful. And we had psychologists and counselors and nurses and doctors, and they called you every day, usually between like 8 and 10 a.m., just to check on you and how you're feeling. Are you all right? Do you need anything? So it, it was kind of like, I know obviously in America, when you speak to Americans about this, they say, oh my God, what, it's like Guantanamo Bay. And you're like, well, no, it's, it's, it's not quite it's like that at all. In a way. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like a, um, it's almost like a little holiday, but, yeah. uh, but of course the, the hardest parts were of a morning and of an evening because of a morning you wake up and you go, oh God, I'm still here. And then of an evening you go to bed and you go, I'm going to wake up and I'm still going to be here. And but during the day, if you, an acting mate of mine, Dan, returned from Ireland and he, um, to Sydney and he told me what he did. And he said, look, if you stick to a schedule, if you stick to a regimen, it's a lot easier. Um, and I did find that. I, look, I think the whole isolation thing for me, it's been having that regimen, having having some bookends in the day. For me, I start the day hiking the canyon and so I've got the sunrise, you know, to look forward to. That makes me go to bed early at night um, and then I come back and I've got maybe some yoga or some stretching or something and then I've got some some voiceover work or some self-tape yeah. conditions to do. And so the day gets gets filled up, you know, quite well. But I think if you're if you're sitting around or I feel for the people who've got their work and they've also got the homeschooling of their kids. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that would be like crazy. And people I have got, yeah. you know, gangbusters doing the um, the sourdough bread and, and things like that. Like did you, yeah. did you, did you do any sourdough? <laughs> no, not in the hotel room. No, I, I, lacked, I lacked a lot of the equipment. Um, but no, however... No. When you were back in LA. <laughs> yeah. I, no, we did, um, my girlfriend and I, we got really ambitious. We were trying all kinds of things. We were doing uh, like casserole dishes and noodle dishes and stir fries and we, we did whatever we could. We didn't jump on the sourdough bandwagon. I don't know why. I feel like we might have missed that boat. But um, we very much were, we, we were very, very culinary, culinarily curious, you will nice. say. Nice. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about Occupation Rainfall first up because it releases in Australia on January twenty eighth, and um, and as you say, you had the premiere on or the premiere on on Wednesday. I have to be bilingual in this interview. Um, <laughs> um, that was on on Wednesday night. I've seen a trailer for the film. It's just extraordinary. Um, tell me, you tell me what it's all about. Explain it for our our uh, listeners slash viewers. It is a colossal spectacle. It is, it's, it's very much those sort of old school 90s, 2000s summer tentpole experiences. Mm-hmm. It is a relentless onslaught of entertainment, uh, exhilaration, thrills. Uh, we, we, I was just reading one of the reviews that we had today that said it is, it, it grabs you and doesn't let go. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It's really, really fun. Um, it has a bit of emotional pathos in it that I hadn't hadn't triggered with me because I saw a very early cut middle of last year. So Wednesday, when we had the premiere, the red carpet premiere here on the Gold Coast, I did not. It was the first time I'd sat in a cinema in twelve months because, as we know, everything is closed currently in LA. So to sit in a cinema and smell the popcorn and be around people and hear people laugh and gasp and you know uh, undergo like feel the experience of this real roller coaster of a film. Yeah. was a delightful reacquaintance. But this is the kind of film that is genuine escapism, absolute escapism. 
But there is also a dramatic pathos underneath it involving tolerance and racism and things like that. And I think the fact that we're releasing around Australia Day is a little bit of a deliberate ploy from the um, from the distributors as well, because it does it does have the notion of an invading race of people uh, coming over and, and sort of taking over uh, what, what we what life we know. Right. So Luke. Luke doesn't really. Luke is not heavy-handed with his politics in any way, shape, or form. But he has a wonderful way of kind of winding it in subtly, and you you will exp- you will feel that in the film. But it is yeah. in between all these massive set pieces, all these massive actions, packed spectacles. So go to the cinema and be entertained. It's very very enjoyable. Where did you shoot? Gold Coast. We shot entirely around the Gold Coast, up around Mount Tambourine and the Hinterland, but it was mostly soundstage work uh, just near Warner Brothers. Okay, okay. Yeah, because uh, that must be a very different experience. Is it a lot of green screen? Oh, yeah, Ella, yeah. It was It was predominantly visual effects driven. Uh, we. It was my first experience doing probably 80% uh, green screen versus location shooting. The very first film, which is called Occupation, is on Netflix currently, that was mostly location and a little bit of soundstage work, whereas this one was kind of the opposite. Uh, I had a lot, so many visual effects variables in it. There was a lot of miniature work, a lot of um, carefully choreographed uh, visual effects work, and a lot of personal interaction as well with okay. people, you know the old green socks on the head and the dots on the face. Um, right. And I was asked the yeah, question: green socks on the head, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Like they're going to go rob a bank. Um, yeah, so you're like, oh, I really like this outfit I wore. Can I take it home? And they're like, yeah, oh, no, no, green sock with dots on it. No, yeah, right. <laughs> how, how you know how captivating? Yeah, it is. <laughs> how chic. Uh, yeah, we, um, I was asked a question by a journo on, on Wednesday at the premiere about what it was like working with the green screens, and it, it, it just occurred to me when he asked the question that I didn't really think about it mm-hmm. because when we were doing it, Luke is so clear with his vision and so clear with his storyboarding and his direction, it's very sim- it was very easy for us just to follow it accordingly. So it, it, it was not a distraction and it wasn't one of these things where you were so focused on it being right. You were actually quite relaxed and given we had an amazing cast uh, around us, yes. we, um, yeah, to, to work with, it made a big difference. Uh, it made a, a, that, that kind of collaboration is crucial when you've got a lot of these a lot of ambiguity going on around you, which is, is, of course, visual effects work in general. I think, um, I mean, you're a very experienced actor now, but I think one of the things that um, if you imagine when you first started out being told that you were going to be on a film like that, I suppose you, I don't know, would you have done a lot more research about it or, or had, some, had some fears about it that, that you had to address? That's a really great question. Uh, no, I, I don't think I would have because I think, uh, every film is subjective. Every experience is different. Obviously, the process to make them is generally pretty universal. Mm. But I, I feel as though if you get too far into reading too much, then you might get a, a perception of what that would be. And I mm. think coming into I think uh, I think coming into any project with a preconception, with a preconceived notion, um, is not really helpful because you know you are working with a crew and a cast and people. I mean, I've worked with Luke previously. But if you come in sort of going, okay, well, this is what I read and this is what I saw, therefore this is what it must be, um, I, I think you – I don't think that's necessarily helpful because it, it is a team approach and you need to be able to go in there and sort of go, cool, well, this is who I am, this is what I bring, 
who are you guys? Let, let's get stuck into this. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Is there much rehearsal for something like this? What was that, mate? Sorry? Is there much rehearsal for a film like this? Oh, yeah, no, we had a whole period of time. Um, uh, we had a whole period of time with rehearsal in the first block of shooting. We had a lot of uh, a lot of table reads and a lot of action practice, you know, obviously close proximity fight stuff and grips and things like that made a big difference. For returning cast, like myself and Dan Ewing and Izzy Stevens, Tim Morrison, Tim Morrison, um, uh, we sort of we just sort of just reacquainted ourselves with our characters and a lot of that work was already done in the first one. Right. So uh, we just connected with with the with the cast to join us for this one, like Mark Cole Smith and Dave Roberts and Ken Jeong and Daniel Gillies and Jet Tranter, um, Vince Colosimo, and it was really it was really great just to sort of work with them on something we'd already established. You're very sporty spice, you know. I mean, you've got a you've got a background of sport from from when you were a child until you you got an injury, um, you know, footy and, and and cricket were your thing. Um, so, do you do a lot of your own stunts and so on, or or do they bring somebody in for for certain of them? Or I, I, I do whatever they let me do. I'm I'm happy to do it. I love doing it because it is fun. Because it's like it's fun being physical. It's fun leaving and feeling dirty. I've got a fun. I learned a whole sequence on um, that we took a whole day to shoot, which is a massive action sequence in the first 15, 20 minutes of the film. The best comparison to this film, I think, is Empire Strikes Back meets Mad Max. Whoa! Yeah, that, that's a pretty. I think it's a pretty good comparison, actually, <laughs> with a bit of Independence Day. Yeah, so so they throw everything at you, and that was a day where I got to be really physical and really into it. Um, but I didn't, I didn't have nearly as demanding a schedule as, as Dan Ewing did at, or as Jet Tranter did. And I know they, uh, Jet, who's a professional fighter who is an incredibly fit person and incredibly talented, uh, she did a lot of her stuff herself. And, of course, Dan, you know, had the absolute bejesus kicked out of him. Nice. Hello, <laughs> makeup. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's go back to where it all started. Like me, you're a Novocastrian. Yeah. Um, so... Um, you, you, as I said, you started acting when you were very young, um, and then you did that that Australian thing that you know the boing boing badoing, like um, All Saints, Home and Away, and L.A. And then you you did how many episodes of General Hospital? I was on the General Hospital for nine months, so I think I did wow. 60, 60, okay. ep- 60 episodes, which sounds absurd. Like when you when you say sixty episodes in nine months, because any TV series in the world would love to get to sixty episodes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but we, we, like that was just that was my run was about sixty. It was only supposed to be for for uh, six weeks, but they kept bringing me back for nine they months. Love you. A lot of- and you got to work in both accents as well. <laughs> I just love that you were the Aussie. Yeah, halfway Eagle, through. Yeah, the Aussie and 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 you were the American as well. Yeah, I, um, I thought- who, who was your who's your dialect coach? I was working with Taylor. I was working with a lovely young lady named Tuffet Schmeisel. Um, Tuffet's her nickname. Yeah, tough. It's her nickname, and she was an incredible dialogue coach. And she worked very closely with me uh, leading up to that, and obviously multiple auditions since. But uh, obviously, I was an Australian in it, and they they never really told me what their plan was. I think they like to keep things very open, open ended, and open minded. There, you know, and audience. I had the very I had a visceral reaction against against me because people hated me because I was such a terribly manipulative. Um, you know, uh, surreptitious kind of jerk <laughs> doing these awful things to people. So, you know, hatred is a powerful tool for writers. 
And that they went, well, let's just twist that knife a little bit more and a little bit more. And that's what they did with me. And one day the showrunner, a guy named Frank, came up to me and said, uh, look, uh, how many accents can you do? And I said, well, what do you need? He said, well, we're, we're thinking about all this, but uh, can you just start on like a French one, uh, a Scottish one, and and we'll go from there. I was like, you serious? He said, yeah, oh, okay. So I went and spoke to Tuffet. And then like two weeks later, I got my went to pick up my scripts from work and they had me changing, revealing my big reveal. Oh, I'm not actually Australian. I'm actually American, you know, and, and the other accents never occurred. But, but uh, Frank, the showrunner, did tell me that they were considering at one stage me being this sort of man of many faces, right. <laughs> like international man of history. Yeah. But how fabulous to have the daytime soap experience because I mean it's rapid fire and that you know you're you're all day on set and then you've got so many scenes to learn for the next day and you're in so many of them. Did you did you enjoy the experience? Would you would you do it again? Is it what's your favorite experience? Like do you prefer film TV where you've got a bit more time or or something like the, the daytime soap? I, I love time because I love building something. I love connecting and building with things. But there is also something to be said about the thrill of working on so and, and working on in a particular general hospital. And I think um, based off my mates who have been on other ones, YNR, D&D, stuff like that, DNL, stuff like that, they um, it, it's a very theatrical experience. Doing a soap opera like that is more like being on stage than it is anything else. And there is that, you know, what I mean, there is a thrill to that live experience, and it is demanding. My, my first day at work, I, I, I blew in, and um, the cast director, Mark, who was a delightful man, uh, had my scripts there for me and had a little bit of chat with me, and he handed me this big, you know, thing. And I said, oh, is this the episode? And he said, no, they're your scenes. I went, what? It's like a phone book. And it was, uh, and you go, oh, cool, I get to do lots of stuff. And so it teaches you so much. It teaches you uh, obviously well, it, it, it teaches or it reaffirms preparation, um, reflexivity, you know, cause you've got to be just on the ball all the time. Yep. Uh, you test your memory, test your patience, make sure that you are on the ball, always doing your work because you very rarely get a take three or a take four. Maybe they'll give you a take two, but you, so you are on it, dude, you are on it. And to connect into that, into whatever you have to connect to, to make sure it's always there, which is what, you know, Larry Moss taught me when I was studying with him about, you know, connecting your emotions for, for stage and things like that with film and TV, you generally, broadly speaking, have a little bit of luxury of time, you know, to construct, to build, to discover, to find. Whereas with soap, you've got to be there and ready to rip. Is it like, like shooting a multicam comedy where where the showrunner will come down and go, okay, yeah, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're going to do something different, and and you're on the spot. Do you have to do that kind of stuff as well? Oh, totally, yeah, yeah. And it's upstage, downstage, stage right, stage left. So mm-hmm. that they they tell you, you know, so so Zach will go upstage. He'll look out the window. He'll come back and take a drink. And talk about that, you know. So it, it's like that. And then if you miss your mark, the director's in a booth editing while you're performing. Um, is, you know, we'll, we'll get on the microphone and say, Zach, you just missed your mark there. Can you just go back a couple of steps? And, you know, okay, back you go. Um, and then you just pick up from that spot. So I think they usually shoot with four cameras, but I do remember there was one sequence, this famous nurse's ball thing, which is an annual event on General Hospital. It's a big thing. You know, it's usually a whole week run long of episodes around this one event. And I was very fortunate to be at the nurse's ball, which is quite an honor for characters. 
And I think we were shooting, and I'm not joking, we were shooting with 16 cameras at one stage. We had 36 principal cast on set and I think 16 cameras. It was huge and amazing and fun. You know, it was really fun because I I got to meet a lot of people because the show is so big and there's so many. Game of Thrones is a soap opera, basically, as far as 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 the narrative crossovers is concerned. And that's what this was like. And I'm seeing people say, who are you? So what do you do? And then you realize that there's like six different storylines happening and no one ever sees each other. But, um, yeah, it, it was. it's really fun. It is lovely. It's a heck of an opportunity because there are some great actors that come over here and they don't get a bite for a long time. So, you know, to get a bite so quickly for something like that is um, testament to your to your skill and training, right? I, I was very fortunate, yeah. I, I, um, I, I obviously worked for Australia, in Australia for about nearly 10 years by the time I yep. came down my Oh, so it's like an overnight success, and I get it. Oh, no, certainly not. And I think that's the case with a lot of people, you know, as, as we know. It's like it takes years to be an overnight success, as, as the old, yeah, yeah, yeah. as the adage goes. Yeah. Um, and so by the time I came here, I'm glad I came when I was 27, and I'm glad that I did because I floated the idea when I was 19, 20 going over, you know, and my agent at the time said, absolutely not. No, 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 no. And I'm glad I stayed because I got to do some great work in Australia and, and work with wonderful people. Um but then when I went over, I was at a, I'd matured to a point where I was ready to, to take the hits and take the knockbacks and handle that. Because as we know, LA is a, LA can be a volatile town and it can be, it's an amazing place and I love it. Um, but of course it can be volatile and it can be, it can be hostile um, to you as a creative and as a person, because it is such a big place and you you are in it and it's not like Sydney or Melbourne where you have your acting mates and stuff like that. And you're sort of like, there's sort of this interesting cohesive community feeling here over there. It's a combination of, of sort of artistic pursuit and business. And it is huge no matter what. And you see incredible people doing incredible work all the time. And you, you have great avenues to make yourself better and to continue to grow as a performer but you've got to be busy. It does not stop. It's not the kind of place that stops and waits for you. You've yeah. got to be there and you've got to be on. And I've had a few mates who have, who have either not enjoyed LA for whatever reason. I can understand that. And I've had others who have gone there and had experiences that were just not palatable for them compared to Australia. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it, it definitely is a, a place that uh, you've got to be prepared for personally and professionally. This is Take Fountain with Ella James. Let's talk about that resilience because, you know, is that something that came to you as a result of your upbringing with your parents or or was it part of the sport or do you have something naturally or what, did you ever think resilience or have to reshape yourself or did you just have something in your toolbox that you used? I think I'm a I'm a resilient person anyway, I think in general, because I, I had to, you know, I was working many jobs to get by in various periods of time in my life. And you know, I always looked at things as being um, in the present, but not permanent. You know, you sort of look cool, you know, I'm, I'm here now doing this, but this is not always going to be the way. So let's keep moving ahead. Uh, so for me, I, I'm, I'm resilient and I'm patient and I can handle it, you know, and I think sport does teach, sport did teach me that. Because you've got to work hard and you've got to be prepared for your opportunities and you've got to understand that 
you've got to be there and you've got to do it. You've got to do the work. You've got to put in the training and you've got to be prepared. Mm. Um, and that's a lesson that I think is applicable to a lot of things in life in general. Mm. I think what I learned the most, what, what had to, what I had to, to take on board was, um, was separating, was sense of self-worth and, you know, not feeling any lesser about yourself because auditions aren't coming in or because you didn't get a call back for that thing you felt so great about, you yeah. know. Or you Speak that to part. me, I've just had one of those. I'm like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me, you go in there go, that nailed the audition. Yeah. You know, like casting called my manager and went, whoa. And I thought, yay, this is so exciting. And then like. Yeah. Oh, mate. And isn't that silence? Isn't that sort of silence deafening when it occurred? Or, or like it's a film, so it could actually not shoot until next year, you know. And and then so, like that happened to me two years ago, where I I auditioned for something and I honestly thought it had gone away. And it was the f- I'll I'll share this with you, because um, I'm a you know, sure. I'm a sharer. So I go in for this audition and um, and it's it's not really in type. I'm a homeless woman. And um, and so I look like death, and I've actually not worn a bra to drive across LA, so that I'm I'm really in this character, you know. And you, you I mean, I'm I'm a busty chick, so, yeah. um, so <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm traveling, I'm driving across in the Yaris with my tits resting on my thighs, and and I've got a, um, a lumberjack jacket on, and I've got my beanie and no makeup and. You know, <laughs> some powder and I pull up and I get in there and I'm just, you know, really like I'm feeling the weight of the world. You know, I, I know who this woman is. I know why she's in this situation and, and I've created this backstory as to how she got there. And, you know, and this is, this is initially going to be three seconds on screen, but you, you, as you say, you do the work, right? So I get in there and two actors come up to me and they're like, oh my God, Ella, it's so good to see you. How are you? What are you going for? And I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. And then before I can get back into my self composure, casting comes out and goes, okay, ready for you now, Ella James. And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway, so so I left the audition and, um, and I rang my manager and, and I said, oh, I don't know how it went, you know. And, and I said, also, they asked me to do a lot of dialogue and, and, you know, that uh, I wasn't, and I said, I just don't know that I did. Anyway, six months later, I book it. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, then I'm, and then I'm on set and they decide to make it something much bigger than it had previously been worked on, which is great. Um, anyway, that's enough about me. Back to you. But it's that experience of oh, no. it, it's the uncertainty and you've just got to flow with it. And I actually think it was good that those women did that because it gives you an opportunity to do what they say, do the preparation, then let it go. No, totally. And, and that's what they say is to do exactly that. And that what you described then is very much what General Hospital would be like because you would, you know, you have these seven-page scenes that you'd spend days, like a day or two trying to get down. And then you do all the, the work for your character and then you work with the other actors and then you've got to, and of course you're going to work and things are flat out and, or you're distracted by something or something else pops up and it's in your head and you've just got to go, action, let's go. And, yeah. and I think that that's a very good way to, to learn to associate with things. And that's why I think theatrical training is really great for actors and doing theater is fantastic because it teaches you that kind of stuff and teaches that kind of resilience. And also that you can occupy a space, you can present a character and you can jump on whenever you need to, you yeah. can, you can, you can um, 
elicit those emotions whenever you need to. And yeah, with auditions, I think in America particularly, because you can jump between two or three a day. I think I had three in one day at one stage. I had one in, one in Culver City, one out at, at Glendale, and then like another one in West Hollywood, like 9am midday and 3pm. And you and jump. The with- problem with all of that is that all the traffic. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, whereas like in Sydney, like referring back to, to like you mentioned Newcastle, it used to be so easy when I was living here because it was great. You'd take a day off, you'd hop on the train, you'd go down and see, I have the two-hour train trip to get myself into the into my space and do what I needed to do. And then you get there and you chill and you go and see the cast director, you do your thing and back on the train, life's a bowl of cherries. Yeah. Whereas you're up at 6 a.m. just to drive 10 miles. <laughs> you know, and it says it's going to take you 45 minutes, but you know yeah. you'd better allow an hour and 45 because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, it, it is. It's it's very different. But, I mean, that feeling, what was the first lot that you went on? Do you remember the oh, yeah. first time you were called to a lot and you were like, oh, my God. Like, I don't know. Maybe you no. didn't have that feeling. But I no, know. It's no, just like, of course I did. I think a lot of, I think anyone who says I didn't have that feeling is lying because anyone who sort of, you know, they get their pass for the, for the Paramount gate or the universal gate or something, you go, Oh, this is real. Here we go. My first one ever was, uh, it was the Paramount lot. And it was a job that I ended up getting for a TV show on CBS. I went there and I was so excited because I just wrapped on, I did my nine months on general hospital and some things were around. It was really lovely. And it was this role of I had to be a Northern Irish character, so I had to call Tough It Up, and I got my Northern Irish accent down. And I, I remember going to the lot and got my pass, and I was walking around. And I just sort of, you always sort of feel naughty. I did the audition, and maybe that was a good thing too, because I was so relaxed when I went to the audition. I was just like, this is cool. Let's do this. Let's have fun. Yeah. And you, you leave afterwards, and you walk around, and I'm, I'm a shocker for it. I always, you know, stay well past my welcome. But I think Americans sort of Americans sort of encourage that, like, yeah, this is this thing, and how cool is that, and how's this, and this is great, you know, and they love sharing, sharing these things, and I think that's yeah. really endearing. Yeah. So I, I wandered around for like a half hour afterwards and got a call back the next day, and then I ended up going back and booking the job, and it was, you know, it is pretty cool when you get to step onto those things. Like anyone who plays, you know, at the San Siro or Anfield or Goodison, you know, or you know, the Emirates or Wembley, it's, it's, it's a similar kind of feeling, I think, when you, when you consider just, first of just the history of these places, how long they've been there for, how these, a lot of these places like Raleigh, like our great mates of Australians in film uh, have over there. You're talking about places that are literally, uh, are the conception of cinema the, itself. So yeah. it's, um, it, it's quite, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very, I think, sentimental, but also uh, immersive experience. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you, when you're out of your head sufficiently to appreciate what other people do for a living, instead of worrying about impressing them, yeah, then it becomes. And that's that's acting, but that's all walks of life, when we approach something to impress instead of revealing our authentic selves. Yeah. You know, once you get into your authenticity, then it's yeah. a game changer, right? Yeah, well, I, I had that experience there for a minute. I think that's a really good point where I was doing a series of auditions that were like, they're okay, but, you know, nothing spectacular because you start thinking about well, what do they want to see? What do, what do they want to see from me? Well, what can I do to get their attention? And that's not instructive. 
because you're trying to be something versus just being you. And they call you in because they can see, you know, you, you, whatever you are, uh, you present something there that is the character they want to see. They don't want to see you come in and try to be, you know, try to say, this is what I think you want to see from me. They want to see. It's like really bad pickup lines on on a date. Yeah. (laughs) From a woman's perspective, when a man comes up and gives me some really cheesy lines, I'm, I'm like, just show me who you are. Yes, yeah, you know, so I better call heaven. Somebody's missing an angel. Stop it. <laughs> Does Charlie know you got out? Because he's only got two. <laughs> That's, haven't had that one. Oh my, and of course, I just, I have the face. So I wish I could, I could not show what's going on in here, but the internal dialogue is just there for him to see. There's, there's a great one, which is, you know, hey, baby. Let's pretend we're film. Let's hop into a dark room and see what develops. You've never used that, have you? No, of course not. No. Life. Alison, my girlfriend, even if when I say that to her, just it, it's the coldest. It's the coldest shake of the head. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> stop. I know. I know. Um, one of the one of the the things that. Um, I get to mentor a lot of a lot of people. Yeah, you do. You do um, a great job. As I'm, a, thank you. Um, yeah. And um, and I like to be encouraging, but to be frank, I find that sometimes I come up against a younger person who is being incredibly arrogant and and entitled, and it's part of the fear of maybe not quite knowing who they are yet. Like when somebody's been told, oh, you've got great potential or you've got great skills or, you know, you've won you've won an award at school or, or something. Like this is very, the young, 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 you know. And I always feel, I always feel very gentle with them because I don't want to say, mate, stop being an asshole and just know your place because I know it's part of that whole just when you learn to ride a bike, the first thing you're doing is you're holding on to the handlebars like this and the first pedal you make, you wobble, 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 and the second one you wobble, 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 and then three months later or three weeks later, you you know, you just your feet are on the handlebars, your helmet's back in the driveway. Um, you're not even thinking about it. Your body just has that naturally. Do you have some tips for some younger people or the parents of younger people who might be watching or listening to this um, to to just to help them get, get past that stage? Because I use the bike analogy and they kind of get it, but they don't quite know how to take, they've got to be confident and they've got to know who they are and they've got to believe in themselves, but they don't quite, they don't quite, and they don't quite. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that, that just comes from application because uh, if, if, you, if you're sort of just sitting back and being in your own sphere and being in your own bubble, you are going to hear what you want to hear. And that, that, you know, that's, of course, re- that's reassuring for everybody. It's, very, it's extremely reassuring. But it also means that you're just living to a standard that is subjective. You know, you're sort of going, I'm comfortable with this and that is it. Mm-hmm. Art is not about comfort. You know, any music, I mean, look at Bob Dylan when he went from acoustic to electric. <laughs> you know? Big controversy. 
Um, people try different things. I think a great example is a fella I, I was having a beer with a couple of weeks ago. Oh, God, no. It feels like a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> it was the middle of it was before COVID. My goodness, it was actually at a backyard party. Um, Craig Mazin, he's, he did The Hangover. He did all these really funny films called The Hangover. And then he did Chernobyl on HBO. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Yin and Yang right there, you know. So, but he wanted to tell a story and he wanted to do something. And he wasn't, he wasn't tethered to ego. He wasn't tethered to reassurance. He wasn't tethered to comfort. He, he was tethered to, I want to do a good job. And I want to do something that, it, that drives me. Yeah. Now, if you are, if you are, if you think you're, the, you know, you're the duck's guts, you know, the dog's bollocks, that kind of stuff, um, you very rarely find any sports person or any artist in the world who who sort of proclaims themselves as the greatest ever, you know, without laying it on the line and being clear about it. And how do they do that? By taking on challenges, by yeah. proving themselves. Mm. Now, of course, you don't have to prove anything. You don't have to prove anything at all. But this is a collaborative medium and you are going to work with actors who are always going to teach you things. You're going to work with directors who want certain things. You're going to work with producers who are trying to tell a particular kind of story. And if you don't go and apply yourself and if you don't go and make yourself uncomfortable, and I don't mean in a, in a, um, in a nefarious way. No, no. I mean in a creative way. Like if you go take some classes where you go, Oh wow. Okay. This feels I, I sucked. I sucked. I remember the very first class I did in LA, I was awful. Um, and I'd been working straight for 10 years and I was just nervous and it was a great environment. And I was just making shitty choices like for my character. And I was just oblivious to things in the text. Um, and you know, you go home and it's very sobering. You go home and go, Ooh, okay, well that was crap. What am I bothering this for? And what stupid career this is, this is ridiculous. But then you go, it's absurd, mate. That's ridiculous. And you would go, Great example. Um, Richard Shaw endures when he the famous Indianapolis monologue and he talks about, sorry, Robert Shaw, my goodness. Robert did, Shaw. Robert, yes. Thank you very much. Robert Shaw, the famous Indianapolis monologue. And he did it with Spielberg. He did it and did it and did it. And it just wasn't working, wasn't working. And then the next day he just taps Spielberg on the shoulder and said, can I just have another crack at it, please, mate? You know, I just want to try it again. They did. And of course it's in the film and it's spectacular. Everybody does it. And to think that you have think that everybody walks out and they're Mahershal or Ali or that they're Meryl Streep. No way. Some people have raw talent, really, really good talent, but it is, it's constructed and it's guided. And that all comes from application. Find a school, find a teacher, work with people, understand that this is, this is a pursuit. It's not a destination. And even when, when I went to the premiere on Wednesday, it was the first time in a while that I've walked out and gone, all right, what next? Versus kind of going, oh, I feel like I'm at the station, you know, and, and that's, that was a nice, even then I'm still growing and I'm still learning, I'm still changing. And we grow and change as people too. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And, you, and we become, you know, I think we become better people. Yeah, when you get some perspective and understanding that, you, you can do great things in your life and, and you can be a good person. Um, and it sometimes just takes some harsh lessons to make that the reality. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. And anyone who, who, who looks down on you or sneers at you or derides you just because you did cop a kick in the guts. I mean, that, that person, that person's clearly compensating for something within themselves. 
Of course, of course. But I mean, it takes it takes some knowledge before we realize that firstly, nobody is really worried about what we're doing. You know, compare despair. I used this expression last week with a director I was working with. And, and you know, I said that comp comparing oneself to others and then despairing that we're not the same or not good, we're unique. You know, nobody is like me or you or um, that authenticity is is what somebody might want to buy or not, yeah. you know, because not everybody is meant to be doing the same thing. Yeah. This has been wonderful. I, I, I could I could go on. I just love spending time with you and it's so nice to see you sure. and uh, and so happy and and I wish you all the best with um, with uh, the opening. It's January 28. Do you know yeah. do you know what the release is for the US? Uh, that that's fluid at the moment because I know this film is it's a cinematic film and they do want it. I know Lionsgate want to release it on cinemas over there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think they are they are keeping the powder dry there for a second, but I do I did hear rumblings of March. I know the first one was obviously on Netflix. I know Netflix would be very happy to have it, but I think Lionsgate are kind of keen to to make it make people go see it on the big screen because it yeah. is it's genuinely a big screen experience. I think my my friends who saw because we have two hundred and fifty cinemas across Australia starting next week, so we have that's a very wide release. Um, it seems quite minuscule in the context of the United States, but it is that's quite significant um and we went when my friends saw it on wednesday they they walked out everybody sort of had the same reaction they all went oh all right i need a second <laughs> it sort of feels like you sort of just it's like the california screaming at disneyland it's like and then off you go i know i know that's my <laughs> favorite i line up like a 10 year old to go on that over and over and over <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god, I just love it. Yeah, it's just terrific. No, what can I say? There's another side of me. I do want to laugh at that, though. I just want to put that out there. Um, Zach Garrett, I wish you all the best. I can't wait to see you back in LA. Thank you. Stay safe. Stay well. I was going to wear a mask just so you'd feel like you were still back here, but you know, I just. It's an adjustment. It's weird. I I still do the thing even here in Byron Bay where life. It's really quite normal and people people take it so seriously, but like Australia does not want to lose what they have here. So they fight vigorously for it, you know, they do all the right things. And I, I, I still walk up the street and I still do that thing where I hands my pockets, you know, don't touch anyone, step back against the wall if someone's passing me. And I've had it a few times now where I've walked out and gone, Oh my mask. Oh no, it's okay. It's all good. It's okay. Yeah. I've got fifteen of them. They're just on, on high rotation. You know, but we'll get there. We will, mate. Okay. Yeah. You take care. Thank so lovely up. to see you. Yeah. Love to you and your girl and um, and have a great time in Oz. Thanks, mate. Lovely okay. chat. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Take Fountain with Ella James. Available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio or your favourite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at Bytes.com. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.